Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we approach Your Word, we recognize, Lord, that You are the author of truth. We recognize that, that all truth belongs to You and that to know You is to know love and to know truth. So, Father, as we approach your word this morning, we we ask that we uh, can know you more. We come humbly seeking to know you, God, so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, and this is Live Worthy of Your Calling. And that comes right from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul tells the Ephesians, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. And so this morning, we are starting chapter 2. Oops, I went too fast. Starting chapter 2, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 10, and I'm calling this Foundations of Soteriology. Now, that... I know that sounds like it should probably be a seminary course, uh, but I promise I'll try to keep it uh, not seminary level. But we, we should be growing in our knowledge as believers. Uh, but this is uh, Foundations of Soteriology. And the main idea in this passage is that you are saved by grace. And then the, so we see that broken down kind of in three points here, and that's that uh, before salvation, all are spiritually dead. And then salvation is a gift from God. And the last section is the purpose of the new life. I'm going to say those again. Before salvation, all are spiritually dead. Salvation is a gift from God. And then we get to see the purpose of the new life. Now, I know a lot of you are sitting back there saying, now what in the world is soteriology? All right, so soteriology is the doctrine or the study of salvation. In this short section, verses 1 through 10, uh, Paul lays a foundation for understanding the means, the effects, and the purpose of salvation. Now, as we read Paul's letters, we, we learn that he has a very deep understanding of soteriology, but this uh, short passage doesn't really give him the full time to, to dig into those depths of that. Uh, and so we're not going to go super deep into it. We're really just going to look at this passage. Um, this is merely, an, uh, we could say, in like an introduction. Uh, Paul will use this foundation, though, uh, to, build the, uh, to begin to build the Ephesians' understanding of salvation and how it does affect their behavior, uh, that the gospel do- does change the way that you live, and that the lost people around them should notice something different about their lives. Because if you remember, um, in talking about this letter to the Ephesians, I've said that Ephesus, the, the, the Ephesian believers were in a situation where the people around them were saying that, well, they can believe the gospel, they can believe God's word, they can have faith in Jesus for salvation, but they should still live and, and act like everybody else around them. That they can believe that stuff, but it shouldn't really affect the way that they live. And Paul is showing here that, uh, that the effects of salvation, that the, the changed life, it all starts in salvation. So this is the foundation of that. This passage is the starting place for all of that. So we'll go ahead and start in uh, uh, verse 1. Uh, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived according to them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Paul starts off, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, You were dead. 
you were dead. This death that Paul is referring to is the separation from God that is caused by sin. He is emphasizing the severity of this separation by saying that they are dead. Separation from God is the absence of life. They are dead. Separation from God is spiritual death. So what caused this death? Well, Paul doesn't leave much room for interpretation there either. He tells them that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's the rest of verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So that is the cause of this death. But it's interesting here, the two words that Paul uses that are both, that both of these words uh, indicate sin. Here, they're translated as trespasses and sins. Those are two different words in the orig original Greek. And those two Greek words have somewhat different meanings. Uh, the word translated as trespasses carries uh, the meaning that it was a fall, uh, a falling to the side or a deviation from truth or uprightness. This, is a, this term is used often for sin, but not always in the New Testament. Sometimes other words in the New Testament or other words are used to describe sin in the New Testament, but this is one of the more common ones. It's the same word that Jesus used in the model prayer when he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the same word here. So uh, Paul says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The other word translated as sins, well, I think the, uh, our translators here have done a really good job because the word that's translated as sins is a very general word for sin. It kind of encompasses all sin. Um, it, it's, a, it's an archery term called hamartano, and it literally means to miss the mark. So you're aiming for that bullseye in archery, and you missed. That's hamartano. And that's our understanding of sin, that this is God's perfection, and that's our goal, and we shoot and we miss. Right, that's sin. That's a very general understanding of sin. He says that all sin separates us from God. All sin causes spiritual death. That's the hamartano. But then those trespasses, you remember that's a kind of a falling to the wayside? So all sin causes spiritual death, even accidental sin. When we don't mean to, when we don't realize it at the time, and we look back and we say, oops, that was sin. That still causes spiritual death. Paul, using both of these terms, is saying that uh, uh, they are both the cause of death, unintentional and any other type of sin. Um, sin separated the Ephesians from God, and this separation from God is spiritual death. Right, I, feel, I feel like I've kind of made that, that section right there very clear. Uh, and then Paul says, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. So he's talking about those trespasses and those sins, those sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. See, sin is the way of the world. Once sin entered creation, back in Genesis 3, all of creation was stained by its effects. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that creation is awaiting a time that it will be set free from its bondage to decay. Sin is the way of the world. But I don't have to tell you that for you to know that. We all see it in the lives of those people around us. We all see sin in the systems and structures that we try to uh, perfect in our culture. Well, and when you're honest with yourself, you can see the sin in your own life. No matter how much you try, you can't not sin. Sorry for that double negative. But no matter how much you try, you can't help it. You're going to sin. Uh, no matter how hard you work, you can't hide your sin from yourself. You might be able to hide it from others, but you can't hide it from yourself. And that's the way of this world. Everything in this world. It's sinful. Now, this next section, I really like it. Paul says, we too all previously lived among them in our uh, fleshly desires. I love this verse. 
Uh, and I think this verse, verse 3 right here, is lacking in a lot of uh, Christians' gospel conversations. Um, it's, uh, I think it's also lacking from a lot of Christians' memory as well. Uh, we, too, are sinners. Now, in that last point there, when we were talking about, or when, when it was saying that, um, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, I purposely, in that last, let me read it to you again. It says, when you are honest with your, or I said, when you're honest with yourself, you can see the sin in your own life. No matter how much you try, you can't not sin. No matter how much you work, you can't hide your sin from yourself. You might be able to hide it from others, but you can't hide it from yourself. It was really hard for me to have all those yous in there, right? Because I, I, I knew verse 3 was coming right up after it, all right? But that was why I left it like that. But it's not just you. It's not just a you problem. It's a we problem, right? So Paul, uh, Paul is, is going back and he's emphasizing that it, it was not just the Ephesians that were dead in their sin. It's all people were dead in their sin. So I want to go back to that point and, and rephrase it a little bit. When I am honest with myself, I can see the sin in my own life. No matter how much we try, we can't not sin. No matter how hard we work, we can't hide our sin from ourselves. We might be able to hide it from others, but we can't hide it from ourselves. See, as Christians, we cannot forget about our own sin and simply point out the sins in others or simply point out the sins in the culture and ignore our own. We must continually return to the cross and seek Jesus and, and, and ask him to show us the sin in our lives so that we can leave it at the cross. Now, there's one more point that I want to make before we move on to the next section. Um, and this, notice in this, all this right here, verses 1 through 3, everything is in the past tense. He says, you were dead. You previously lived. We previously lived among them. We were and others were also. Everything here is past tense. Why is it in the past tense? Well, because that's not the case anymore. It's left in the past. The present tense holds a different reality for Paul and for the Ephesian believers and for believers today. They were dead, but there's something different now. Well, we think about that. What comes after death? Well, we have to keep reading to find out. Starting in verse 4, he says, But God. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I know I only got two words in. But God. Now, I've heard it said that these are the two most beautiful words in Scripture. But God. For being such small words, you know, only six letters total in the English translation, they carry a beautiful message. See, but is a conjunction. It, it joins together two different statements, uh, two different uh, ideas. Um, and this is a, 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 a contrasting conjunction, meaning it's two different ideas, not two supporting ideas, but two different ideas. But brings together two ideas that are in contrast to each other. Sort of like, I can really be a jerk sometimes, but Hannah still loves me anyway. Or, candy is really bad for you, but it tastes so good. Right? Those are contradictory terms, and but kind of brings them together. And this is something like that, but again, so much better. These two words are dripping with gospel hope, but God. See, we just spent the, the entire beginning of the sermon talking about being spiritually dead because of our sin, but God. So now we see that there's going to be a change coming up, a contrasting idea. We were dead in our sin, and there was nothing we could do to bring us back from that. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in, uh, with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
who it says that he is rich in mercy, but God who is rich in mercy. Now in this passage, we have both mercy and grace mentioned. They are often paired together and they are often confused. Now, therefore, anytime I come across one or both of them, I want to take the time to, to kind of pause for a moment and define them because they are so often confused. So mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. You deserve punishment, but you're not getting that. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. In the church, when we talk about mercy, we're talking about the punishment for sin that we deserve. See, each of us deserve eternal punishment. Each of us deserve death because of our sin. Mercy is when we don't get that. See, mercy is a beautiful thing because our just rewards are a terrible price. We can have mercy because Jesus took the punishment for our sin. He paid our penalty on the cross. He took our place and died for us so that we could have mercy. Unfortunately, this verse tells us that God only has a little bit of mercy, right? Is that what it says? No. It says he is rich in mercy. God doesn't have a little bit of mercy. He is rich in mercy. That means he has an abundance of mercy. He's overflowing in mercy. He's not going to run out. When we are saved, we can be sure that God's mercy towards us overflows from his infinite riches. Now, this statement is here for those of us who look at ourselves and we see a lot of sin. We look at our life and we see a lot of evil in our life. Totally sinful. That's how I would describe myself. That everything we do outside the power of the gospel is tainted with sin. For those of us who think like that, it's tempting to think that, well, I've just sinned too much and there's no way that God could forgive me. But Paul says, no, God's not going to run out of mercy. He is rich in mercy. He overflows in mercy. He's not going to run out. He has enough to cover your sins. Your bad ain't so bad that God can't handle it. That leads us to the question of why. Why would God choose to give us mercy? He would be perfectly just in sending each and every one of us to hell. God would be perfectly just in giving us the punishment for our sin. Why would he choose to do that? Why would he choose to shower us with the richness of his mercy? Well, that's an easy question for us to answer because Paul answers it for us. He says, uh, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. God chose to show us mercy because he loves us. His love is so great for us that he chooses to have mercy on us. But the effects of that, it says that, uh, but God made us alive with Christ. There are those contrasting ideas. You were dead in your sins. We were dead in our sins. We also were dead in our trespasses. But God made us alive in Christ. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive. We rejected God by choosing sin, and as a result, we were spiritually dead. But God sent his son Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. He poured out his wrath on Jesus, and Jesus drank it to the very last drop. Jesus' sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sin, now removes the barrier between us and God. We were spiritually dead, but our relation, and our relationship with God was broken. Now, because of God's mercy, because of his richness of mercy, the relationship can be restored. Now, Paul now shifts his focus from the, the contrast between death and, and life. You were dead, but God, now you're alive. Paul shifts his focus just a little bit um, from, from uh, that mercy 
And Paul exclaims, you are saved by grace. As you're reading through this, that exclamation point hopefully jumps out at you. You are saved by grace. Now that point right there really, like I said, hopefully it should jump out at you with that exclamation point. Now grace, there's the other half of the pair that I was talking about earlier, mercy and grace. Grace is getting something good that you do not deserve. Right? So it's similar to mercy. Mercy is not getting the bad things you do deserve. Grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. Grace and mercy come together so often because God showing mercy toward us is grace. And God giving us grace is mercy. They're very intertwined. The two go hand in hand. And Paul, with his great rhetoric, predicts the question that you might be heading toward. If you are asking, okay, God has this mercy toward us because of his love, but why does he give us grace? He's gotten mercy because of his love for us, but why grace? Paul answers that question for us again. He says, so that he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. So why does God give us grace? Well, because he is rich in grace and he wants to give it to us. He wants to display the riches of his grace. It's simple. God's, God gives us grace simply so that he can be glorified by showing that he is immeasurably rich in grace. Yes, not only is God rich in mercy, he is also rich in grace. Earlier, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, uh, he prayed that they would have knowledge of a few things, that God would enlighten a few things for them. One thing he prayed was that they would be enlightened to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Now, that was last week's sermon. Uh, the end of chapter 1, we talked about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Another thing Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be enlightened was the wealth of his, inglori- his, sorry, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Well, now we know that wealth. The wealth of his inheritance comes from the richness of his grace and mercy. Paul is trying to make sure that the Ephesians know that salvation comes from God's riches, not something that we did. And if we keep reading, we see that Paul expands on that teaching a little bit. Starting in verse 8, he says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul says, You are saved by grace. Remember, grace is receiving something good that you did not earn. See, God does not force this grace on people, though. The gift is not earned, but it must be accepted. The way that we accept this gift, right? It's a gift that is given, but you have to receive it. And the way that you receive it is through faith. Faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is how we accept that gift. God's gift is something, not that we earned, but something that could be rejected. We reject that gift when we refuse to have faith in God's plan for salvation. If you are sitting here and you recognize that you need salvation and you're unsure about your next step, it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. Right? Simple and easy aren't always the same thing. But if you're sitting here and you recognize that you need salvation, just have faith. Place your faith in Jesus for salvation. Place your faith in his life, death, and resurrection for salvation. And it's not just a mental knowledge, say, well, yeah, I know, I believe. It's not just a belief in the historical fact of it, but a faith that says that you will surrender your life because you have 
faith in Him. You will surrender your future because you have faith in Him. Your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And His Word is greater than what any plan that you might have for yourself. Like I said, that next step is simple. Have faith in Jesus for your salvation. Now, should you pray? Yes, you should. But there's no magical prayer that you can say that will give you salvation. Just a a, a calling out to God, recognizing your sinfulness and His grace and mercy. Calling out to Him in faith. Should you come forward and tell the church at the end? Well, yeah, but not... You don't do that to become saved. You do that because you are saved. Tell the church so that we can help you in your next steps and get you in a group of believers who are helping each other to grow according to God's word and hold each other accountable and growing in our understanding of who he is. If you know you need salvation and you want to accept it, just place your faith in Jesus for salvation. Just in Jesus. Not from yourselves, not from works. Paul says you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not from works. Paul returns to to the idea of grace to emphasize this point. Salvation does not come from uh, some work that a sinner can complete to save themselves. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Just like when somebody is dead and in the grave, there's nothing they can do to come back to life. As a sinner, that's our situation. We are spiritually dead, and there's nothing we can do to fix that. As a result of salvation being a gift from God that we did not earn, nobody can boast about it. Nobody can boast because you could not earn it. You couldn't do it on your own. It's a point of humility. You recognize that I couldn't do it, and I had to call out on Jesus for hope, for help. But in all of this so far, we haven't seen the effects of salvation other than new life. You know, Paul now takes a quick venture into those effects. Paul says, we are his workmanship. See, God created us. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. God created us. And we rejected him, and we're left spiritually dead. But now, through the richness of his grace and mercy, he reconciles our relationship to him through our faith. And through that reconciled relationship, we have life. But what is that new life supposed to look like? We are to recover and pursue God's design in our life and in the lives around us. Paul says that we are his workmanship. So the recovery and pursuit of God's design in our life means that we're trying to get back to that original plan that God had for us before sin came in. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, we were created not just to live, but we were created for good works. It is, uh, if the saved life is the recovery and pursuit of God's design, then it is the recovery and pursuit of good works that we were created for. Now, this is not something that happens immediately. And that's why we call it a pursuit of God's design. See, as the Christian continues to live, they are to be continually growing to be more like Christ. And so we've made our way through this uh, first 10 verses. Let's go ahead and get to our application points. And our application points always come from our definition of a disciple. Um, and... That's from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. We get knowing, being, and doing from that. Knowing is where Jesus says to follow me. And this is the disciple has accepted salvation through Jesus and the lordship of Jesus. The being comes from I will make, where Jesus says I will make. So the disciple is constantly being transformed through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. 
And then the doing is uh, we're doing the work of Jesus. That's where Jesus says that we will fish for people. We are doing God's work. Well, that kind of goes ties right into that last point that we are making. So for this sermon, what are those application points? First is to know. Know that sin results in death. All people before salvation are spiritually dead. All people before salvation are spiritually dead. Yes, physical death is the result of sin, but that's not it. The death that result that uh, sorry that death includes spiritual death, not just eternal damnation, but spiritual death. That spiritual death is separation from God. And like I said earlier, just like somebody who is physically dead and in the grave, and they can't do anything to help themselves to come back to life. Someone who is spiritually dead is just as helpless. There is nothing we can do to bring ourselves back to life. And so that brings us to the be part, the being part. And that's to be brought back to life through your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Through our faith in Jesus, we receive the gift of salvation. Paul says that we are saved by grace. And that means that it is a gift. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the payment for our sin. And therefore, we can be reconciled to God. When our relationship with God is reconciled, then we have spiritual life. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that believers need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how is somebody born again? Well, right here, Paul has made it clear for us. Put your faith in Jesus. The only way to receive the gift of new life is through faith. Paul says you are saved by grace through faith. Now this is, like I said, it's not just a mental belief in Jesus' resurrection, but a surrender to him. A trusting in him that he is the source of life and truth. That surrender leads us to the next application point. That's doing. That's to do the good works that you were created for. Salvation is not just about having fire insurance, but recovering God's design in our life. We were created to do good works. We were created to glorify God. As members of the kingdom of God, we are constantly trying to expand that kingdom, to grow God's kingdom. Jesus tells us to make disciples. That includes making new disciples and helping other believers to grow more mature. Our new life is one of good works. Not works to earn salvation, because that can't be done, but works given in thanks for salvation, works given in a pursuit of God's design in our life, works given to glorify God. We're not working, we're not doing these good works to earn salvation. We're doing our good works because we are saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, that you are rich in both grace and mercy. Lord, we praise you because we know that no matter how bad we are, that you have enough grace and mercy to cover us. Father, I pray that you will help us all to turn to you in faith, in faith that you can save us, that your power is enough to save us, that your grace and mercy is enough to save us, and turn to you in hope that your new life for us is the life that we were created for. Father, I pray that you will help us to turn to you in faith, surrendered to you in doing those good works. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.